Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. It's the Texans Players Show presented by Fuddruckers, and we are not at Fuddruckers. We will not be at Fuddruckers this season, but we will be giving away Fuddruckers stuff, meaning burgers, on future programs to kick us off. It's week one. No official player appearances this week, but it's not like he's unofficial. He's an official Texans legend. It's Travis Johnson. Mark Vandermeer, DP City with you with Travis. And Travis, it's great to see you. Great to have you aboard. How's it going? Oh, man, it's going great, man. I appreciate you guys having me. I miss I miss being around you guys for the last year and some change. And now it's like, hey, we're back to a little former normalcy. And, and, and Texas football can only be kicked off with a little bit of normalcy. So it, it gets no better than this. Well, I wanted to ask you this because we have a new coach making his debut. And you've been a part of this kind of thing, right? Because you were drafted in 05, and that was the last year of the Capers era. Then in 06, Gary Kubiak comes in. What's it like when a new coach takes over, and what do you think this is like for some of the guys who were here with the previous regime, and there aren't too many, right? I mean, there aren't too many guys who were here uh, with Bill O'Brien relatively. It's over 30 new players are on the 53-man roster. Well, I mean, when you have a turnover like that, which is 78%, I think it is, it sounds crazy when you talk about the type of turnover there is. But, I mean, you, 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 some guys are excited. Like the guys who are in the doghouse are excited. The guys who, who weren't in the doghouse, you know, were in good standings now, they're kind of like, man, I, I don't know what to expect. But when you have a, co- a coach like Coach Colley, who's come from good, a good stock, per se, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of, of, of been around good organizations, been a, a, a damn good coach in this league for a long time I think you really you, you really excited because you say you know what this is a guy who's going to let me play off of my merit this is a guy who's going to let me uh be me and because I mean you don't think where he's been he's been Baltimore he's been to Philly he's got a lot of characters per se uh, around him so when you get guys like that who are a, a different kind of bunch they're going to be really excited because they're going to say, you know what, I can make this team and I can make things happen on this team. And they're not going to, they're not going to just judge me by who I am as a person. They're going to judge me about what I do in between the lines. So I think a lot of guys are really excited about it. When Coop came in, you know, we didn't see eye to eye at first uh, over a few things, but you know, he, he got to know in between the lines, I was going to do my job and I was going to do what was asked of me, you know? So, uh, you know, we, 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 we always were cool and we're cool to this day now even as, you know, I, I, I say it's like it's like being a parent and a child, you know, the older you get, you know, the, the better the better friends you become with your kids because they know you only told them things to do to, for them to be successful. I know David Coley had talked about last week. He gave uh, the players that Thursday off. He said we're going to do some team building. You know, I wanted to ask you about team building because there are so many new players, all the new coaches it seems like there are more new players either through free agency or, you know, guys that we've signed here this off season, you know, what is that chemistry? Like, what does it really take to sort of get things going? Uh, you know, where do you think the team is at right now after going through camp together, after going through some preseason games together and the fact that all these guys are coming from other teams are sort of in the same boat. You know, a lot of them are trying to, to prove that they they can still be out there. They can still have productive uh, time in the league but but what do you think it's like for the players as far as the camaraderie goes I think, I think it's a beautiful thing you know because you know uh mark remembers when i got traded to san diego and when i get traded to san diego i remember i get traded like 10 days before opening day and i and it's funny north north turner called me dr johnson for about a month and i was like why do you call me dr johnson he's like well because i had the entire d-line was sick or hurt or didn't want to practice until i traded for you and all of a sudden all these guys come back <laughs> <laughs> and, and, get out, and get out of their training room. But 
the beauty of it was we were all, you know, because I get hurt week one. They bring in Antonio Garay. They bring in uh, Alfonso Boone. They bring in a group of guys. Uh, and we ended up with almost like a, a bologna sandwich full of guys, you know, for lack of better words. And it worked. You know, it was like back in the day, it just worked where everybody came from different. But there's so many vets in the room, so many older guys. It's like, I know how to work. You know how to work. Let's do this together. I mean, I bought from in Houston. We had every Thursday we did D-line dinners. And when I got there the first Thursday, I said, hey, guys, where are we going to eat dinner? You're like, oh, we don't do this. We Because we, half the D-line didn't really like each other. So, oh. and I'm like, I don't care if you like this guy or not. We <laughs> I are, want my dinner. We're going to have, we're going to have a dinner. We're going to have some cigars. We're going to go have a, a drink and we're going to learn who each other is. We're going to learn who each other are, you know, and that is the only how we can go fight for each other and, and, and ride for each other. And that was one of the biggest things with, of team building because you know what? You get to know the guy across from you. You get to like him. I don't have any preconceived notions. I haven't been with him for two, three years. I love who this guy is because everything he shows me on the field shows me what? He wants to win because most of the guys here, you know, your last chance, your second chance, or your, or your non-existent chance. So you're saying, I need to perform. I need to do well. And I want everybody to know how bad I want it. All right, so Travis, Travis Johnson with us, by the way. I know you were at the Tampa Bay game, the final preseason game, and I know that you know that 10 defensive linemen made the 53-man roster in this Lovey Smith 4-3. And if you told me before camp got started that 10 DLs would make it and Brandon Dunn wouldn't be one of them and he was healthy and also Shaq Lawson got traded, I would say, they must really like who they've got. So what do you think of what they've got there on the D-line? And I know they have different role players to do different things, but they got a big group, and they were productive in these preseason games. When you talk about Jordan Jenkins, when you talk about Collins, when you talk about Taylor, and of course you talk about the, uh, the veteran and Whitney Merciless, I think you have a good, solid core of your front four. You know, the one I was really excited to see, and it's a, it's a, it's a shameless plug of Florida State, is Demarcus Walker make this team. And Demarcus Walker being a guy who – you know, he was a tweener at Florida State. He's a defensive mm -hmm. end, outside linebacker, but he was too small to be a defensive end. He was, I mean, he was too big to be a defensive end, too small to be a tackle, but he's perfect in the league for a tackle, perfect for a guy who, who creates pass rush. So I was really excited about them. Ross Blacklock is the guy who's been making plays for us for the last couple of years. He's going to be a guy here. Uh, when you talk about Jacob Martin getting him from Seattle and being here, like, it's, it's, I like this defensive line. Lovey has always been a guy to keep 10. When you have 10 defensive linemen, you can continue to rotate. If you play a 4-3 correctly and you're getting these guys to get off the ball, get off the ball, get off the ball, you're going to play four plays. You're going to tap out and say, give me a next rotation. Four plays, tap out, give me a next rotation. Six plays and keep on going down like that. There's not going to be the guy like how we watched J.J. for years play 100 snaps in a game. It's not mm. possible. If you're going full tilt, because J.J. did it, why? Because he's J.J. It's not possible for the average man, you know what I mean, to go all, all game and go full speed all the way like they did, especially in a 4-3. It's just not possible. So that's why you keep that. That's why you keep such a deep defensive line so you can make sure those guys are able to rotate in and out and you keep fresh legs up front. If you keep fresh legs up front, you continue to cross pressure. You continue to, to play in your gaps. You continue to get tackles for loss. And in tune, you continue to make the whole defense better. Travis, I've heard through camp a lot of these defensive players talk about why they like this system because it's 
it's a, an attack style of defense. It's not as reactive. You don't have to watch things develop and then make a decision. You just go out there and attack. I mean, what are the benefits of running a defense like that, especially for some of these these younger guys? I mean, do you foresee like some big changes on the defensive side just because we've switched to this mode uh, of operating? It, it's it's a it's a you know we always say study long, study wrong, and 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 when you play in a three four, you're always studying what he's doing, and you're not going the, the four three. If if I was drafted in four three, I might still have a job. You know, he might still be playing <laughs> playing a read and react defense. It's a different animal, you know. It's it's not made for. You gotta have the mark. You gotta have the Marcus Spears. You gotta have the uh, JJ Watts. You gotta have the Vince Wilforks to play in a three four. You gotta have massive human beings to take up massive space and be able to two gap. When you run in a four three, four three is a gap style defense. It is a gap style. I get off the ball up front. The linebackers, as far as the linebackers, make me right all the time. So if I get reached, I penetrate. If I get if I get scooped, I penetrate, and the linebackers then fill in in those gaps, and they play a different style. So it is wonderful, especially for young guys, because you take the thinking out of it. You take the what am I going to get on this block? How do I play this block? How, I'm not a 450 pound bench presser. How do I how do I take uh, Dwayne Brown when he's trying to scoop me and press him out and keep on pressing this thing to the sideline? Now I can just get off the ball. If he scoops me, who cares? I can play from a defeated fit. If he reached me, who cares? I can play from a defeated fit. And the linebackers will always make me right. So that's why you can have a young group of defense alignment to be very successful in this group. Because if you got young, hungry dogs who want to pin their ears back, they're going to go after the quarterback. They're going to go after the running back. And they're going to create penetration, penetration, penetration. We used to say at Florida State, penetration rules the nation. And when you penetrate on the defensive line, you play a yard and a half in the backfield, ankle depth in the backfield, you'll always control the line of scrimmage, and you'll always be right. I've already got two really great quotes from this interview so far. Penetration. Rules the nation. Rules the nation. Steady long, steady wrong. These are all bumper stickers. I use study long, study wrong in everything in my in life. (laughs) my kids, I'm like, listen. Not with your kids, though? I use it for them. Oh, you do? Study long, study wrong. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, it, and, and really, it, and I use a lot of footballisms when I'm teaching them different mm-hmm. lessons. You know, uh, in football, we say who to get and how to get them. You know what I mean? And that, that is like, as a coach, you'll say, I'm going to teach you who to get and I'm going to teach you how to get them. You know what I mean? And now for, for, for and that, that goes in anything in life. If, if you're looking at a math equation, you say, okay, what are you trying to get? All right, now how do you get to that equation? How do you get to that answer? The same thing goes for D-line. Who am I trying to get? I'm trying to get the quarterback. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get the uh, the, uh, the running back. I'm trying to get the ball. Now, how do I get him? If I get this block, what do I do? If I get this block, what do I do? So, who to get and how to get him is the same thing. If I because if I'm studying all day long, if I'm seeing, oh, I gotta back this side. If I got this that side. Uh, if he takes a step with this, here am I doing? I'm I'm studying long and I'm studying wrong. I need to be able to go without thinking. Defensive line, we are we are more. Uh, 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 we are more of a sporadic guy. Mm-hmm. We are uh, uh, we are a guy, who, you know, it, it, the, the ladies love you because they say, oh, you're so spontaneous. The, yeah. offense, the ones who love the offensive linemen, why do they love them? Because they're thinkers. They're romantic. <laughs> they're romantic guys. They're they, planners. They, they're planners. You know what I mean? They know where they're going. They know how they're going to go there. You know, mm-hmm. us, we're just like, I'm gone. My hair is on fire. You know, so that's the beauty of playing, being a defensive lineman and an offensive lineman. That's that's great. All right. So what do you think of this now? And this is kind of pro offensive lineman, this take here in that 
if you're a defensive end and you have one or two sacks a game, I mean, you're on Sports Center. You're going to go make the Pro Bowl. If you're an offensive lineman and you're giving up one or two sacks a game, you're dead. You're unemployed. <laughs> so what do you think? Yes and no. I mean, yes and no, because I, we've been around the guys who've given up a sack a game and nobody bats eyes. <laughs> oh, he's you know, we've been around those guys. You know, we've yeah, had those guys true. in the building. You know what I mean? And nobody, everybody says, oh, you know, my thing is like I switch, like little Travis, he's now play offensive line. Uh-huh. And, I, and I moved him off his line because I told him the same thing I just told you guys. I said, son, you don't have the mentality to play defensive line. Like, you aren't – you're too smart for this. You're a genius. You know, your daddy wasn't a genius. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would run my face through a wall because somebody told me to. You're like, well, what kind of wall is it? Is it a yeah. brick wall? Is it a <laughs> You know, like, you, you, you study, so be offensive lineman. And not just that. For a defensive lineman, you win one every – 10 you if you win one one a game you're all pro you have to if you win a pass rush once a game you're all pro for offensive linemen a tie is a win if you give up mm. one you're like oh man it's just i messed up on this i can correct this you got guys who played 20 years in this league and were dog you know what <laughs> like they, they were awful you know you're looking like uh, had, I mean, you got to remember some of the, go back and look at the rosters from 05, 06, 07, and look at some of those guys, their offensive line guys that were on that team, and tell me which, and, and look at how many years those guys played and say, mm-hmm. which one would you put on your team right now? I'm willing to bet it's probably five of them. You say, you know what? I play with that guy today. You know, you sold me on a tie as a win. That is, that's a good one right there for the O-line. <laughs> a tie is a win. So if you tie all the time, you're, you're fantastic, right? You're keeping a job on D-line. <laughs> if you tie, it's like, you got to get pressure. You got to get this. You know, it was one year where I remember I had, I think I might even led the league in batted passes. And it wasn't even a stat at the time until J.J. batted down 30 <laughs> passes. <in one> <laughs> like, J.J. Swat, J.J. Swat. And they're looking like, and back then it was, well, you lost the pass rush. Like, oh. You didn't get any pass rush. You literally knocked the ball down. Great job because you broke it up and you saved us. But where was the rush? Mm. The rush was non-existent. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So that's how much the game has changed. But still, a tie is a win for offensive linemen. A tie on defensive line, they'll give you a minus. You lost. Minus. That's going to oh affect your grade. Oh, good take. Good take right there. I'm learning something. I'm learning plenty here, Travis. This is unbelievable. This is awesome. All right. I want to ask you about Tyrod Taylor, who is the starter. And we all know what's going on with the other situation. And here you go. You're going into week one with Taylor at the helm. And it feels to me the moment they signed him, really, that this is the right guy for this situation. What's your take on him having observed him in the past and him playing here so far? I've always liked Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor, when he came out of when he came out of Virginia Tech, I watched this kid play. He's always been he's been top notch. When he was in when he was in Buffalo, when he was in Baltimore, when he was in Cleveland, when he was with the Chargers, everything about Tyrod Taylor speaks leadership. It's a guy who knows like I'm behind the eight ball. You know what? He is the black Fitzmagic, Fitzpatrick. Like he literally is. Like you want to think black about Fitzpatrick. it, but he but but he but he literally wins a little bit more. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like, it's a guy who knows I, I'm, I'm, I'm a stepping stool. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, in, I'm the bridge. You know what I mean? I'm the bridge in between one regime and the next. I'm in the bridge in between a starter and a non-starter. 
but yet they know I can win games. I can do well for you in this league and I can make sure you are your guy, your, your team that is, is in competition. You know, I look at the McNown brothers. They're the same way. They always, you say, if I need a quarterback, who do I call? Let me call one of the McNown brothers. Let me bring him out of the studio. Why not? You know what I mean? Like they might not bring, give you a lot of wins, but they'll keep you in a game and they'll help you win games you're supposed to win. Tyrod Taylor does that and a little more because of his mobility and because of what he brings to the team. His leadership is phenomenal. His mobility is phenomenal. And now you're going to say, we don't have to change the playbook that we had with Deshaun with Tyrod because we know athletic ability, they're about the same. Yes, Deshaun's a little bit younger, a little spryer. He probably has a better arm. He's a better quarterback. Let's not be, let's not be fooled by that. But Tyrod gives us a big chance to win a whole lot of games here. And I don't see, uh, you know what? Everybody's predicting, oh, Jacksonville will beat us. Jacksonville will beat us. I don't see it. I just can't see it. Like right now, to me, Jacksonville's god awful. Jacksonville is a team that we, hey, what do you say? They are who we thought they were. You know what I mean? Like they aren't, they aren't any good. Urban Meyer's not a good coach. They just, it's just not. You know, yeah, I, you heard me say it. Seminole Gator, <laughs> Seminole Gator <laughs> alert. <laughs> I, I, I really believe I'm excited about to watch Tyrod play. Watching him play in that last preseason game against Tampa Bay gave me a lot of excitement. Can we protect him better? Yes. If we get that running game going with the guys we have, then I, I really believe that this team can be something. It can be a surprise. Do I say they get to the playoffs? It's a possibility. You know what I'm saying? Do I say they, mm-hmm. they're going to win more than eight games? You know what I mean? So if you win more than eight games, you have a shot. I think we can possibly win 10 games if we get that running game going. If we have Mark Ingram, we have David Johnson. David Johnson looked well in, in that in that, in that that Tampa Bay game. Yeah. David Johnson to run like David Johnson ran the one year where he got a new contract, then we're going to be, we're going to be all right. If we got Mark Ingram, Flint's finest, if we get Mark Ingram to run like Mark Ingram has run throughout his career, we'll be fine. Would I like to have more receivers? Yeah, of course. But I take Brandon Cooks. I take Brandon Cooks any day of the week over a whole lot of people. So I really believe that this offense can make a lot of things happen. You know, so much was made about signing five running backs to the active roster. I think we were all a little bit surprised because it was such a versatile group of backs. We were thinking throughout training camp, who are they going to cut? Who are they going to keep? Who's going to be on this roster? Who's not? And then they end up keeping five um, on, on the active roster. How surprised were you with that? Do you foresee how they may use these backs? I know they keep saying we're not going to make all five active on game day, but do you have a sense of how they plan to use different backs? I mean, is it really going to be a different back every week? or well, a different combination every week, depending on the, the opponent? I, I think it can be, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, when you talk about signing five running backs to, to the uh, team, and, and don't – listen, there's going to be four active on game day. If you look, most of them are pretty decent-sized backs. They're going to play. Rex Burkhead, he's a guy who's played for how long? You know what I'm saying? He's a guy who's played a lot of special teams. You got David Johnson. He's going to run his behind down on special teams. And who's the other guys? Was it Scotty Phillips? Is, is that the is yep. that the guy? Yep. Scotty Phillips. Scotty Phillips. He's going to be on special teams. You're going to be a special team guy. You didn't make this roster to not be suited up every day. If I keep a guy, a two year guy who's an undrafted free agent, uh, uh, if I keep that type of guy on my team, Jump he has to play special teams. Yep. So that's what I see them keeping all of those guys. It just so happened they were running backs. It could have been the same thing in receiver. They had bigger receivers. They had big like. They're gonna. Those guys are gonna make the team because they, we need them to play special teams. Travis, would you have liked seventeen games when you were playing? 
well, if, if, if you're going to give me a prorated and, and, and <laughs> of course, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing for a lot of these guys was the fact that, okay, we're playing 17 games. When I signed this contract, it was for 16, you know? So that, mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest, the biggest issue for a lot of the guys was, well, how are you going to fix my money? You know what I'm saying? Cause you got, a, you got a lot of guys, let's say, I mean, Deshaun, Deshaun makes what? $10.25 million this year or something along those lines. Allegedly. Allegedly, you know what I'm saying? Ten point two five million. So if you if you break that down, you get what? There's uh eight checks you get. So now you're gonna add a not really nine checks you get. So you're getting a million plus a check. Now all of a sudden you add another game. I need my million plus for my check. Like if you want me to play, otherwise it's gonna be like, why am I out here? I I didn't agree to this in my contract. But the cap went up because they're making more money. So if you're signing after the fact, then it reflects the increase reflects the extra game. And you don't have to play the extra preseason game if you're one of those guys who might be slated to play the fourth game. Right. And I mean, I wish, you know, the extra preseason game, you know, it, 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 it not having the extra preseason game sub for a lot of people, because I think you saw the turnover in this, in the, in this, in this, uh, this year in the league because of that. You know, you like you got a lot of guys who would have normally made the team didn't make the team because they didn't get the reps. You saw a lot of you saw a lot of vets who might have been banged up for a week, maybe two. Now you're missing two games instead of before mm-hmm. I might have missed one and I would have had an extra game that fourth game to go out there and show what I can do and potentially be trade bait. You know what I'm saying? So now when you don't have that, you get guys like Brandon Dunn getting cut even though he was healthy because he just probably didn't get the reps. Or he might have been a guy who he's a guy who always the longer he plays like secretariat, the more you work him, the better he gets. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And now all of a sudden he doesn't get those reps. So now you, you, you end up cutting guys and you keep keeping guys that normally wouldn't have made the team. I've got the solution. The spring game with all your rookies and developmental guys play it in May, June, just with those guys, the last 40 guys and you You'd break the internet. You'd break television ratings. Could you imagine having the NFL play right then, a spring game? A spring game for every team? Or you, you literally make a, a spring game with either one team or they're picking another team to play. You know, it, I think it would be phenomenal. And that, too, and I, you know what I really believe, Mark, that needs to come back is NFL Europe. Yeah, I, yeah, I really in some form. Yeah, exactly. It, did, it was huge for Antonio Smith. I remember we used to talk with him about that all the time. Oh, what that it, was did not, for his career. it was big for a lot of guys. You know, you, you talk about you go back and look at some of these guys who played a long time and you go look at their their Wikipedia's. Or you go look at their 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 team rosters and they're over there and they're making plays. And I mean, you got a guy that I played with like Earl, Earl Cochran, who wouldn't have made the Texas team if he didn't go to Europe. He goes to Europe. He balls. He plays well. You know, I guess it's all-star over there in Europe, and all of a sudden he comes back here and he makes our 53-man roster. I think the, like that that is big for a lot of guys to be able to showcase, and you send anybody over there. You know what I mean? You can send in whoever you want, and I just really believe they should. All right, more on week one with the Texans and Jags coming up with Travis Johnson and also his thoughts on what went down in Tallahassee this past weekend and the overtime rules. Does he like them? We'll find out more with Travis next on Texans Radio. It's the Texans Player Show presented by Fuddruckers. Mark Vandermeer and D.P. Sidhu with you. Travis Johnson is our guest. First round draft choice, 2005 Texans legend. 
And we used to call you guys the ambassadors. Now you're the legends. That goes along with the entire league, by the way. The entire league calls former players legends. Do you like the name, Travis? Do you like being part of the legends community? (laughs) I I, I like it, but I dislike it. Because, you know, uh, it's wonderful to be a legend. You know, (laughs) in air quotes. I I gave the air quotes. (laughs) You know, but, you know, you people pressure. You know, people are like, you ain't no legend. You know, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm not a legend, but I'm legendary. You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed the ambassador, the name of the ambassador, because it it, showed, it told exactly what I did, you know, uh, be mm-hmm. an ambassador to the program. Um, to be called a legend, you know, for us who are students of the game, who are admirers of the game, you know, that word in itself is, is such a, it, it's the great white buffalo. It is such a word that only gets reserved for, the HOF guys, you know, Hall mm-hmm. of Famers or the ones who should be Hall of Famers. But I understand their whole, their whole, the reasoning of using the word. There's only 30,000 of us to ever play the game. There's only 20,000 of us living to play the game, you know? And I think that is why you say we're legends because in the day is we're the 1% of the 1%. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at high school football and you say, how many kids are playing high school football right now? It's millions. And then you say, how many kids get a chance to play uh, college football? Uh, it's not even, a, it might be right at almost a million. If you if you talk about for, uh, division one, two, and three football. And then you talk about from that number being to the 300 or the 292 drafted. Then you say, how many makes a team? That's what you become legendary mm-hmm. behind that. Because you say, you've beaten all the odds. The odds were never in your favor to make it. You know, and I and I and I tell people I was just I was gifted because you know I was, you know, some people you might want to play this game, you might want to be great, you might even work hard, but you can't fight genetics. And I was born, you know, just like most people, you were genetically gifted to do certain things, and mm-hmm. the Lord just put it in me, and I and I could play some ball. So legends, I, I, I like the word because it, it tells what we are, as far as when 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 it's all said and done, they t- and they're telling the game of football. They'll have to talk about all of us. But as far as when you're in the community itself, there's this legend and then there's this. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's a a league-wide term, right? Like legends are what every team calls its former player. So it's not just a Texans thing. Do you Uh, get a chance to ever meet with other legends from other teams? I mean. Well, technically, because I'm in technically I'm in two legends communities. I'm in. Oh, yeah, that's true. The Chargers legend community and the Texas legends community. So we get to see a lot of guys. We get a lot of Oilers, actually. So when we were just ambassadors, you know, uh, we had a few Oilers uh, be on ambassadors. And we had a few guys who just lived here, you know, like Richmond Webb, who should be a Hall of Famer. We had Richmond Webb. He was an ambassador for the team. Um, But, you know, you kind of feel bad for those guys because the Oilers have no home. You know what I mean? It's kind of like they're not Titans. You know what I mean? Right. And they're not, and they're Oilers, but there's no place for them. So the, the, the NFL's done a pretty solid job of including them in the legend community, and they still have their home. They still have their legend community. But Candace Mayberry has done a phenomenal job of including them in a lot of the Texans events, a lot of Texans uh, legends community uh, projects. So that's been cool because Candace could have easily ignored those guys. But she knows, listen, there's only 20,000 of you. And I yeah. only have a certain handful of y'all live here in Houston. So that's the beauty of it. It's just because you get to see those guys. You get to be around those guys. You know, when I get when I get to see Sean Jones, you know, who lives here. When I get to see uh, Richmond Webb, who lives here. When I get to see all of those guys, that's 
that's wonderful. You know, and you look at mm-hmm. Indy Kalu. Indy Kalu's a part of three Legends communities. Oh, yeah. The Texans, the, the Philly, and uh, Washington. So it, it's cool. And I, I really enjoy it. I just, you know, I, I wish it was a distinction of levels. I wish I had like, <laughs> I wish I had like baby legend on mine. You know what I mean? Like, maybe you had like Bruce Matthews, who's big legend, you know? <laughs> big legend. Uh, Travis Johnson joining us. Okay. I know Florida State played Notre Dame. We don't have to get into the details of the game too much, but Travis, <laughs> the recent passing of Coach Bowden, can you please reflect for us what it was like to play for that man? So special. I mean, I think one tweet I saw really summed it up how well loved and respected he was by all. Alonzo Hydesmith tweeted out, uh, RIP Coach Bowden, I'm paraphrasing here. It was really hard to tell him I wasn't going to be a Seminole, meaning he was recruited. He was a great hurricane, but Bowden is that charismatic, that gripping, really, as a human being. It was hard for him to tell him no. Uh, it, it was, and, and he was such a, a historian of the game. You, you thought, like, the older he got, you know, the, the, the guys who recruited against him always said, oh, he forgot. He, he doesn't know your name. He doesn't know your name. Well, they didn't realize, like, the way Florida State was, you didn't really earn your name until you graduated, until you started to make plays and you were a senior. Like, Mickey Andrews and Bobby Bowden called me 99 my entire mm-hmm. life until I graduated college and I was done. And they were like, hey, Travis, how you doing? I'm like, oh, my name is Travis. But, <laughs> you know, uh, it was a guy who he was a, he was a you know great Christian man, great leader, uh, leader of men. And, you know, and it was, you know, it was – it was funny because I, I got to him when he turned 70. So he, Coach Bowden turned 70 when I first got there. And everybody's like, oh, he's going to retire. He stayed the entire time I was there. And he just was – he was perfect in every way. He asked you about things that you thought he forgot about. Like, to the, like I saw him. I took – so when I was coaching at, at Pearl River Community College in Mississippi, Coach Bowden comes and speaks at the FCA convention. And I remember taking my D-line over there. I said, hey, listen. We're going over here. I'm going to introduce you guys to Coach Bowden. And, you know, this is what we're going to do. And the first thing he said, Travis, you know, how you doing, son? You doing all right? And he asked me, how's my sister doing? I asked her, how she, how's her poetry? And my sister used to write poetry. She still does a little bit. And she goes, she was a smart one. Didn't she end up going to Harvard? I was like, yes, she did, Coach. She did go to Harvard. You know, and i never forget when he first came in my house, he pulls up in his big body bands. And he's got his gray suit on with blue pinstripes, or red pinstripes, excuse me. It was uh, Coach uh, Coach Higgins had blue pinstripes on. And he he asked me about one of my coaches. And one of my coaches was a guy by the name, Coach Shinnick. And he goes, uh, Coach Shinnick coaches you? I said, yeah, Coach Shinnick coaches me. And he goes, man, I remember meeting his daddy in 1973. And his daddy was Don Shinnick, who had played for the Colts like way back when. And I never knew this. And he just talked about the first time he met my coach's father, like years back, and it was like one of the most beautiful stories. Playing for him is was one of the highlights of my life. I got his picture up over here in the corner with autograph memorabilia because you know what? I want my kids to know how special he was and and how there's there'll never be another like him. Wow, that's really that's really lovely. I I, I heard Jimbo Fisher talk about him as well when he passed and just how much he meant to Jimbo Fisher's career and. And how it really skyrocketed him to where he is now, especially leading that AM program. Do, do you see similarities between oh, Bowden yeah. and, and Jimbo Fisher? Uh, you know what? I see a lot. I see a little. So here's the thing. I see. So Jimbo is that's my guy. 
So Jimbo is a, a, a mixture of Bobby, Nick Saban, and Mickey Andrews. You know, like he will, he is gonna give you, he's gonna be the good, the good man off the field and, and ask you about your family and talk about how you're walking in life with your spiritual guidance. And then he's gonna dog cuss you on the field. <laughs> and he's gonna motivate you. And just like Bobby, he's a historian of the game. You know, so when you talk to when you talk to Jimbo, you don't feel like it's a recruiting pitch. You know, you get a lot of guys like, you know, I remember Paul Hackett recruited me. Paul Hackett came to my house. He had his sunglasses on. And I'm sitting there like, dude, Paul Hackett, like, I don't wear sunglasses in my own house. And you can wear sunglasses <laughs> in my house, sitting at my mama table. You lost your mind. I'm not coming to you. Sitting at my mama table. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but then you get Coach Bowden who comes in there. And he's not even worried about recruiting you. He's recruiting your mama. He's recruiting your dad. Oh, yeah. He's recruiting you with, with the stuff that you didn't realize now is going to be coming from all ends. And I see all of that in Jimbo. When I when I when I sit there and I go down to, when I go down to college station and I watch him talk to recruits and I watch him talk to their family, it's not just about the kid because you aren't just recruiting the kid, you're recruiting his family. You you want to know when I recruit a kid, I'm gonna make him a better man when he comes back to you than when he left you. And that is what I see so much in Jimbo is he's saying, I'm gonna make sure your kid gets two percent better every day. So when you get him back. He's going to be twice and three times the man he ever was when he left. Boy, the Aggies are loving this right now. Diggum. Love. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He knows his audience. He knows his radio audience. Well, Maroon is in common at the very least and Jimbo Fisher. All right. Coming up a little bit more on this weekend. Let's get into it. And uh, I still have a couple of college questions. We're just going to run out of show pretty soon here on Texans Radio. Texans Radio, Mark Vandermeer, D.P. Sidhu with the Texans Player Show presented by Fuddruckers and Travis Johnson is our guest. Next week, Charles Amenahu will kick off the player portion of the Player Show after the week one game against Jacksonville Sunday at noon. We talked a bunch about that. Uh, before we get into the other AFC South action this week, Travis, I wanted to ask you, I know the Knowles lost to Notre Dame. Great atmosphere, great game, and I think it'll be a good season for Florida State despite that loss. Uh, so we'll be pulling for your Knowles when appropriate. But I wanted to ask you about this because you're talking about Jimbo and Texas A&M and everything. What do you think of the Longhorns and OU going to the SEC? And what happens to the Big 12 now? You like the prospect of UH. Looks like it's going to get done for sure going to the Big 12. Well, I mean, I think the Longhorns and OU are a bunch of you know what. So you, had, <laughs> you, you had more than ample opportunity. See the Longhorns. See, here's what here's what they don't here's what, here's what a lot of people and a lot of fans forget. The Longhorns is what caused A and M to leave the Big Twelve in the first place. The mm. Longhorns, with their selfish behavior, decided we're not going to share our Texas uh, our Texas TV money. Then they talk about, oh, we're going to go to the Pac-10 when the, at that time when it was still the Pac-10. Then they said, oh, we're going to uh, be independent like Notre Dame. Then all of a sudden it was like A and M was like, hold on, if you leave, what what are we going to have? So A and M goes to the SEC. Right, AM leaves to go to the SEC at the time, and now they leave. Uh, they, they left, I think Missouri left as well. Yep, at the same time. Well, then Texas decides, Oh, we're gonna stay, it's our own show now. We run the Big 12, and now all of a sudden, you realize that AM is kicking your behind in recruiting on the field and coaching in every way of life. And now all of a sudden, it's like, Let's go to the SEC. Well, I hope the <laughs> SEC kicks it. Because the end of the day is, if you stayed here in the Big 12, you would still have the true power five. 
you could have, and not just that, the Big 12, that's a whole nother ball game because you were so scared and you let all of these other pansies decide that we won't let U of H into the Big 12 because we're scared to get all of, we're scared they're going to take all the recruits. We're scared of little old U of H in third ward and they're going to take all the recruits instead of saying, we got to get better. We got to get better coaches. We got to get better recruiters to make sure we can still disperse the talent evenly. But now you want to bring them in. You want to save the Big 12. I, I, I like it. I, I don't know how the Big 12 is going to hold on, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. I, I really believe that when this happened, uh, it was going. To, it was always to be able to secede from the NCAA. I believe the Power Five has been in the process with the NIL, with everything else to secede from the NCAA to be its own, its own entity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, and, and in my opinion, and, you know, I can ramble on for, for hours about this. I really hope that with all of this realignment and all of this, everything we're going to, I can call it gerrymandering. With all this gerrymandering that the college football lines are doing, I hope that they bring in the black college football teams. I hope that each conference, you know what? We don't need the SWAC anymore. We don't need the MEAC. We don't need the historically black college conferences. I think every conference, even from the South, uh, from the WAC, which is now not the WAC anymore, or mm-hmm. the All-American Conference, I think each conference takes two teams. And you you bring in those black colleges so now they can get a piece of TV money. You know, because I don't want to watch – I don't want to watch Jackson, Jackson State against FAMU. I want to watch Jackson State recruit, play against Oklahoma when they have – when they have a, a, a season or two of actually recruiting guys who will go to these schools because they know they're going to play good schedules. They know they're going to have the, the money to feed into their program because otherwise college football is going to be one and the same eventually. It's going to be the, the have and have nots. And the NIL is going to make the have and have nots. So I hope that the Power Five, and I hope that with, if they succeed from the NCAA, everybody says, how can we make ourselves better even though we don't we can't compete with this group of five or – you know, now is what the, uh, the 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 alliance with the ACC, the yeah. Big Twelve, like whatever. You know what I'm saying? To be honest, you can split the SEC up into two separate actual conferences. You know what I'm saying? And make them their own. Sure. You know what I mean? Make and then all of a sudden bring it in like that. I have such a vision uh, for the NCAA where I think that it'd be awesome for college football. It'd be awesome for everybody, and everybody wins. You know what I'm saying? And the, and more importantly, the fans win because it's so much we don't get to see. Yeah, we watched the Jackson State FAMU 7-6 to six, uh, matchup the other day, which was, you know, it was what it was. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but at the same time, I think with more money, with more resources, it can be a whole lot better, yeah. a lot faster. Yeah, I remember being at Miami and they would book FAMU as much as possible at the Orange Bowl because they'd fill the Orange Bowl with their fans and everybody wanted to see the band at the half and everything. And, you know, that's an interesting idea to to have the conferences open their arms uh, to some of these schools. That would be really interesting. Travis, a couple of quick thoughts here on week one. Colts hosting the Seahawks. Give me a thumbnail. Give me a bullet point on this. Well, I, I think, of course, I'm going to go with the Seahawks. I mean, anytime you get Russell Wilson, if he's going, and, and I think early – He's hard to beat early. You know, he's mm. really hard to beat early. The Colts have put together a phenomenal team. I think they can be okay. But I'm hoping that the Seahawks win. Why? Because the Colts are in our conference, and I need everybody to take as many L's early as possible so we can have a better shot and, and get into the playoffs. What also, about- everything's in flux with Carson Wentz and Frank Reich. Mm. I mean, nobody knows what yeah. that team's going to look like. Yeah, listen, I don't believe in Carson Wentz. We say, hey, 
in Carson, we believe. I don't believe. You don't believe. You're not that. You're not him. I'm not, no. a, I'm not a Carson Wentz front runner. <laughs> okay. What do you think of the Arizona Cardinals? They're going to be at Tennessee this weekend to start out the season. And do you like the way they've kind of put it together, this sort of semi, I don't want to use the term dream team, like the way Vince Young did with the Eagles, but that didn't work out. And I'm kind of hoping this doesn't work out for Arizona, especially when they play the Texans in, in October. Well, but, I mean, but I'm rooting for them this Sunday. Of course, we got they got DeAndre Hopkins, the team that they put together. I mean, when they, when you talk about bringing in Rodney Hudson to come out there, who's an all-pro offensive lineman, to kind of show these guys how it's done. When you talk about uh, Kelvin uh, Beach and made the right tackle, these guys, they put together a phenomenal team. They're going to put together – they're going to bring in guys, and they bought in guys to win. But I think they're going to be hard to beat this year. Arizona mm. was phenomenal to watch last year. I think they're going to be really hard to beat this year, to be honest with you. I mean, with J.J., I, I want to know how much J.J. has left in the tank, and I think it's going, we're going to see it early. And, and if we don't see it early, then there's going to be like, oh, okay. But if him and Chandler Jones get to going early, mm-hmm. Houston, we have a problem. Okay, Travis, thanks so much for being with us tonight. We always enjoy the visits. Too much fun. We'll have you on again soon. I appreciate it, Mark. Appreciate it, DP. Y'all tell your families I said hello. All right, Travis Johnson, Texans legend. He's a big legend. Not <laughs> big just a legend in our hearts. Big, big legend. legend. All right, and Texans All Access coming up next. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans.